Welcome to Best Served, a podcast recognizing unsung hospitality heroes. Join Chef Jensen Cummings as he chops it up with industry leaders about the humans who've impacted their lives and careers. From childhood guides, to ass-kicking mentors, to the team members in the trenches that make it all happen. Help us celebrate these rock stars by sharing our show and nominating your own unsung hospitality heroes. Connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Now here is your host. What's up, podcast? It's Corey from Best Served. This podcast episode is recorded from a recent clubhouse on 32121 called Culinary Inspiration, The Women Who Paved Our Way. Hope you enjoy. So uh, hello and welcome everybody to the Best Served Clubhouse. Um, Today we're discussing culinary inspirations, the women who paved the way in honor of Women's History Month. Uh, Just please keep in mind, um, as mentioned in the title, this room is being recorded and will be posted on the Best Served website. Um, Now we're going to get started shortly, so go ahead and ping people into the room so more people can benefit from this powerful conversation. Uh, And follow the mods and follow one another so we can ping one another when we come across a room that we think would benefit. Um, Also, I just want to remind you all to follow the Best Served F&B Creatives Clubhouse uh, and nominate others who you think could benefit from joining into our discussions. Um, This room will run for one hour. And while in the room, please respect the one mic policy. Uh, So just keep your mics muted. And if you're uh, when you're not speaking and wait for others to finish. Also, if you're coming up onto the stage, mute your mic since it's not automatic. Uh, we just want to make sure that everybody has a positive listening and contribution experience. Um, and we're going to get started soon, but I just want to remind everyone that we meet every Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, next week, our topic will be sharing your obscure, obscure food knowledge. Um, and at the end of the hour, we will also take recommendations for future rooms. So on that note, we're going to get started with this one. Uh, Katie, over to you. Hey, everybody. I'm super excited to be here. Thanks, Jensen and Alyssa, for asking me. Um, So I guess I can just kick it off. I can share a little bit about me and introduce the topic. Um, So I think why Jensen asked me to do this was um, I I actually host a podcast as well. I've been in the industry for nine-ish years now. Um, And so the podcast that I host is called Copper and Heat. And our first season was called Be a Girl. And it was kind of a personal essay, if you will, about my experience in fine dining as a woman. And so I talked to a bunch of coworkers and friends who were women, men, kind of all over. And yeah, we just talked about some of the systemic issues around representation of women in food. And so that was the the point of our first season and we're two seasons in um, or three seasons in now, I guess. And so I'm so excited to hear from a bunch of other women in the industry about, you know, who's inspired them and then talk about how we can make some systemic changes to the representation in our industry. So I just want to get the conversation started. I think if everybody could just introduce themselves Quick 30 seconds, you know, who you are, what you do, and we'll get to the stories next. So everybody has plenty of time to tell stories later, um, and there's quite a few of us. So um, why don't we start with Cassidy? If you want to just take quick 30 seconds, let us know who you are. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much. And a big thanks to Jensen for inviting me up today. Uh, my name is Cassidy Schalling, the Executive Director for the Colorado Association for Viticulture and Enology, uh, located here in Colorado. It is a trade nonprofit for the Colorado wine and grape growing industry. I have been in this position for nine years. We're most notably known for um, putting together the largest wine festival over here on the Western Slope, Colorado Mountain Wine Fest. Um, I started my position straight out of college. I'm the youngest executive director for the organization um, and absolutely love what I do. It involves a lot of volunteer management, fundraising, event coordination, and things like that. Um, and have some really exciting, fun projects that are all woman-led right now, which I'd love to chat about later. Um, but yeah, just very excited to be here with this phenomenal uh, panel of wonderful ladies and excited to hear what you guys have to chat about today as well. Thank you. Excellent, thank you so much. Hassel, why don't you go next? Sure, thank you. Um, again, so grateful to be here. Thanks for the invite and so nice to connect with new people. Um, Cassidy, it seems you and I have a lot in common. I also run a nonprofit and do a lot of event production um, in the culinary space. I grew up working in restaurants and now focus on um, Not 9 to 5, which is a nonprofit that is a global advocacy leader in the hospitality space for mental health and substance use um, challenges and provide support and resources, community building around that topic. And I also do some consulting work um, as well in the hospitality and culinary space. Thanks again for having me. Lovely. Thanks, Asal. All right, Chef Mimi, you're up. Hi, Jensen. I'm sorry. Um, I'm Chef Mimi, and um, I specialize in Vietnamese with global influences pop-up dinners. And... Um, my immigrant background has shaped my journey as a chef, both locally and globally, which I would love to share with you later. But, um, you know, I, I, I call my uh, dinners dining experiences because they're more than just dinners, just unforgettable experience um, while sharing my culture and connect with my com community. So um, I'd love to share more later. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank you, Chef Mimi. Um, Zoe, welcome. Good morning or good afternoon, sorry. <laughs> Hi, Katie. Hello, Jensen and everybody else. Thank you for having me here today. My name is Zoe Adronia. I am a chef, uh, author, uh, entrepreneur, food justice advocate, activist, stuff like that. Uh, sorry, I'm dealing with a massive green smoothie that is half only consumed in my mouth. Um, what do I do? Yeah, I cook, <laughs> specifically uh, West African-influenced uh, food. I'm Irish. My parents are Irish, Ghanaian, so I'm the first-generation English person. But my food cooking is very much informed from, yeah, my experience, my identity in both those cultures and having travelled around the world to cook and to learn. Um, yeah, I'll stop there for now so I don't ramble, but thanks for having me and excited to be here. Thanks, Zoe. Um, and Michelle... Why don't you go next? Hi, Kathy. Um, Michelle here. Um, thank you, thank you for, yeah, no worries. It happens all the time. Um, thank you for bringing me into this panel. I'm very excited um, to be surrounding of such beautiful women. Um, I am originally from Brazil and uh, being in America 
about 19 years and uh, I'm a chef, but also a farmer. Um, so I kind of bring the prospect of, of those two things together. Um, I'm a huge advocate for uh, seasonal nutrition, um, you know, taking out the middleman, um, you know, things like that. So, um, and also I love to cook food that again, it's, it's related to the seasons. I, I like to educate, um, you know, my Instagram followers and, and anybody around me on how to create food from what is, is available today. Um, and, and not having our food travel, you know, three, 4,000 miles to get to your mouth. Um, so yeah, I have a podcast called, um, craft food podcast. I just did the very first episode on a women's day. Um, and there we talk the same, these same ideas, um, with guests, um, and friends and family. Um, and I'm also the business development manager for food Bay TV, which is a 24 hour healthy food and lifestyle network, um, based in Nigeria. Thank you. Thank you so much, Michelle. And Alyssa, why don't you take us out of the intros, introduce yourself. Sure. Uh, so my name is Alyssa. I'm a food writer, blogger, uh, micro-influencer, um, really just focused on connecting restaurants with their communities, um, especially during COVID, just trying to, you know, boost that connection to benefit everyone involved. Awesome. Thank you so much, Alyssa. And yeah, thanks again, Jensen and Besser Podcasts for, for having us all. And I want to kick off this conversation talking a little bit about who's inspired us. So I'm sure all of us have a lot of folks who have helped us get to where we are. Um, but if each of you can pick maybe one woman that has inspired your culinary journey, it can be in your personal life, your career, mentors, whatever, um, and just spend a couple minutes telling us your story and their story. I can, I can start it. Um, somebody that was very influential in my culinary journey was uh, my friend Michelle Kwok who lives in Boise, Idaho. Um, so we worked together at a nonprofit where we did job training for refugees and others um, with barriers to employment in the food service industry. And um, she had just moved from New York City to Boise, Idaho, which is, I don't know if anybody knows where this is, but it's super tiny. It's the capital of Idaho, but it's like 300,000 people. So it's a, it's a small, small city. And she had worked at 11 Madison Park in New York and was now in Boise and trying to just kind of get plugged into the culinary, the culinary scene there. And um, so she had a very interesting approach to food that I had never seen before coming from a small town. And so, but she was also incredibly empathetic and adventurous. And um, she took me to Seoul to, to stay with her family for a bit in Korea. And just like, we went around the city and ate a bunch. Um, but she was just always there to kind of push me and also guide me. And um, so she's just the best. And now she's the pastry chef at this really awesome place in Boise. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about somebody who's inspired me. Um, let's see, maybe we'll just go around the circle again. Cassidy, if you wanna chat a little bit about somebody that's inspired you. Absolutely, and I'm, I, I think I may come from a, a little different of a background. I'm not so entrenched in the culinary scene as some of these amazing chefs on, on the stage today, but um, I will chat a little bit about my grandmother and I will give a little shout out to somebody in the audience. My mom is here. She just joined today. She just joined Clubhouse. So hi, mom. Um, but it's actually my mom's mom, my, my grandmother, who has unfortunately has since passed. Uh, 
had was a huge influence uh, to me, and I really want to say women everywhere. She was uh, a fierce um, purveyor of teaching women to handle their money. She helped me buy stocks in a mutual fund when I was quite quite young, and um, was one of the first females in her Rotary chapter in Denver. Um, way back when, and I took a lot of that to heart um, when when I went into college and, and really wanted to um, take that lead into nonprofit, and that has always stayed with me, um, and so being able to move that into what I do now and, and advocate for small wineries, small businesses, and, and small vineyards and help put those two con you know connections and, and networks however I'm able to, I, I really um, take a lot of that from growing up with her and, and cooking with her in the kitchen and, and those food and wine pairings and, and translating to them with what I do today from event planning and fundraising and and helping folks apply for loans and going through everything we've all gone through with COVID and, and things like that. So I would definitely say that would be uh, one mentor that has always stuck with me. That is so lovely. That's wonderful. Hassel, why don't you go next? <laughs> Sure. I was just applauding that. I loved that share. Um, so for me, it's kind of an interesting, similar but different um, to what I've heard so far in that I think I've been the most influenced by who I've had in my life and what I didn't have in my life. So it's been a lot of creating what I felt was missing. Um, because I saw my mother, my grandmother, my aunt, um, and, and just, so my background is Chilean. My parents are both from Chile. They are, they claimed refugee status here in Canada. They're both immigrants and first generation here in Canada. And my first language was Spanish. So, you know, I entered kindergarten not knowing a single word of English and not understanding anything about the Canadian culture. Um, and, you know, I was obviously very heavily influenced by the Chilean culture, which my parents kept very much alive and still do. And unfortunately, there's just a lot of patriarchy and misogyny still in that culture. In South America, it's still very dominant. Um, there's a lot of things that we have here in North America that we take for granted that are still not even legal rights for women um, in South America and in Chile. So when I saw that my mom, you know, had to do so much sacrifice for herself and my grandmother never got a chance to even like build a career for herself. Um, it just wasn't an opportunity financially or even just like socially acceptable in their culture. Um, I kind of took that influence and, and have made it such an important part of my life to build a career for myself and to use my voice and take up space because they didn't have that opportunity. Um, they were very much silenced in their time. And so I think for me, yeah, it would be split down the middle of my mother and my grandmother in the kitchen and teaching me about food and everything was, you know, made from scratch always. We never bought anything basically other than the ingredients. Um, but then also seeing what they didn't get to do and, and that being such a motivator for me to chase my dreams. And even if I wasn't, you know, finding what I was seeing in the world and just creating it for myself and for others, um, you know, and encouraging and empowering others to do the same along the way. Thank you so much for sharing that, Hassel. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I mean, I love what you're doing. And I think that 
cultural changes are so hard and tricky, but I know a lot of folks have similar similar experience, especially with immigrant backgrounds. And um, Chef Mimi, I don't know if you want to share a little bit about somebody that's inspired you. Yes, thank you so much, Jensen. Uh, I'm enjoying hearing um, all the women's stories here. I'm a chef who specializes in Vietnamese with global influences, uh, pop-up dinners. But it, it was my aunt who taught me the power of food that made me choose pop-up dinners as my niche. Um, so during the fall of Saigon in 1975, my family and I immigrated to the U.S. when I was a young, a young child. And we settled in New Orleans and started our lives all over again. My aunt um, came alone with our family, so she had a few side gigs to make ends meet. One of them was her makeshift uh, fur shop that she operated in her tiny one-bedroom apartment during the weekends. And I loved coming with my mom to help out, um, although all I could do as a child was just to bring water to guests. But I remember her tiny apartment was just packed every weekend with guests congregated together around uh, cheap, low plastic chairs and tables. Uh, they were laughing, sometimes crying together, sharing their immigrant escaping stories while slurping my aunt's delicious pho. And it was here that I witnessed the incredible power of food and the joy and connection that uh, a taste of home can provide. Um, it, you know, it was like my aunt's bowls of pho that brought dispirited strangers together every weekend who quickly became this tight-knit community that commiserated together to see that they were not alone in their pain. Um, so my aunt would spend all day, even stay up late at night before uh, to finish cooking several huge pots of fur stock, throwing bones and marrows and char onions and ginger into the the pot to slow cook for many hours. She put a lot of love into it. Um, and I remember seeing, you know, no matter how deep into a conversation her guests were with each other, but as soon as uh, the steaming hot bowl of aromatic fur arrived on their table, everyone just immediately stopped talking and everything came to a silence as they stared at this bowl of fur, trying hard, politely waiting until it was their turn, but I could tell all they wanted to do was to be the first to dig into that bowl of pho. So my aunt told me years later that, uh, you know, when I was an adult, that she did it more for the joy of connecting with our people. The extra money she made was necessary, but it wasn't her motivation. It was the joy of cooking a familiar comfort dish that brought so much joy to people and gave them a sense of belonging to a community that she said was so important for our immigrants' well-being at the time. So that lesson of power of food, you know, that, that as a nourishment, not just for the body, but also for the soul, always stuck with me. And after many years of, you know, chasing the corporate world and being sober and out, I'm now finally able to follow my passion of cooking and connecting with people through my pop-up dinners. And um, I feel like when my guests eat something delicious from my country and learn more about the ingredients and history of that dish, it helps them understand my culture and people better. 
And, you know, I, I think that's how it could bridge that gap of understanding between different cultures so we could have more empathy towards one another. This is Chef Mimi, and I'm done speaking. Thank you so much, Chef Mimi. That was absolutely lovely and beautiful. And I, I, I think a lot of folks can also relate to um, using food as, you know, the, the way to build community. I know, Zoe, that's something that you've talked a lot about. Um, but yeah, if you want to talk a little bit about somebody that has inspired you in your culinary journey. Thank you. Um, yeah, I feel like it's multi-layered, my response, honestly, because, you know, when I started Ghana Kitchen, sorry, you know, the idea was to, to do a contemporary take on West African food. So there wasn't a clear kind of point, you know, a clear reference point for me in the UK because nobody was really doing that. So when I think of influences, I have to kind of go back to my childhood, I guess, which, you know, starts my relationship with cooking started with my dad initially, but it was my mum who actually kept that Ghanaian cooking alive. Um, and it was my Irish grandmother <laughs> um, who used to be a chef at Bantry House, which is a big fancy hotel in West Cork. Um, and he was constantly baking, constantly making, constantly preparing food. And there was always like a big family, big Irish gathering around that food, you know, very much a matriarch and very much, um, you know, that food as nourishment piece came from from that. And the, the food as a concept of gathering. Um, and then obviously my Ghanaian grandmother, who I had less contact with growing up, but who obviously had influenced what my dad was cooking at home which then went on to be what I learned to cook so it's a little bit muddled I guess but in later life um looking thinking about who who are the inspirations it was really when I my, my career had already started and I had more to do with the U.S. actually and I was, I was cooking over here and being more exposed to to U.S. influences and then I came across Jessica Harris and Edna Lewis and people like that. And I know they're more kind of historical focus points of reference rather than people who cook actively, obviously now. But just knowing that that lens existed um, was quite heartening for me in terms of there being an historical pattern to people talking about this kind of food. Because one of the things that I wanted to do through my cooking was really break down people's misconceptions and barriers to what they thought African food and air quote marks was. So to have those kind of reference points became really, really useful and a bit more, um, I guess, grounding for myself. But yeah, in terms of, you know, I, I started with supper clubs and it was all about um, bringing people together. Um, and I, you know, I heard me, me, me say a dining experience and that's very much what I was trying to do as well. It was, it was more than just the food. It was, it was the environment, the ambience and the conversation actually around that food that was, really important and I think that that became instilled from that Irish uh, experience of, of the gathering of the family around the table to eat and um, that being a point where you, sh you shared you know you shared well you shared everything <laughs> the story of the day the story of the week the story of the, of the month and what was going on for you so yeah, it's, it's just, there's been a lot, and you know even recently just so many people can't see cooks I mean I'm constantly inspired by um, and influenced by women um, who I think are still paving the way. Um, I, I don't think that was a very clear answer, but I hope you got the gist. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was excellent. It's, uh, it's, 
it is, it's complicated and nuanced and of course, um, and maybe Chef Michelle, if you wanna share next a little bit about your inspirations. Yeah, definitely. Um, kind of segueing on, on what all the women before me said, I think, um, you know, for me, uh, my grandmother in Brazil was um, my inspiration and, and what I learned, the basis of, of life in general um, was from her. Um, my household, you know, being uh, Italian, German and Portuguese and I have a little bit of African in there. So we were kind of like an immigrant family from the start. And so um, my grandmother was the center of the household. Um, I was always, you know, next to her trying to figure it out. What could I do? What could I clean and what could I cut? So she would let me cook with her. And so I've been cooking with her from the age, I think of six or seven up and, um, not just the side of like, you know, how to cook delicious food, but also she always had, um, the point of view of, what 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 is this food gonna do for your body once you eat it you know so you know I have her um <clears throat> cure all soup recipe and I have so every food that I remember from her has some kind of medicinal benefit um or at least she you know okay so artichokes uh have iron so I, you know I'd be a little bit deficient on iron and so I would be eating artichokes for a week and she would let me know why I had to eat those foods foods, uh, you know, even worse, fish oil, or, you know, she'd have to chase me around the yard to get me to drink that liver, fish liver oil, but I would drink it once, you know, she caught me. Um, so yeah, I think that the, it kind of shaped me to be, you know, the generational herbalist and farmer and chef that I am and kind of putting it, the responsibility, every time I make food, yes, it, it needs to be delicious. Um, yes, I want to use seasonal ingredients, but also I want one, the person not just happy for eating it at the moment, but when they go home, they get, um, you know, uh, endorphins and they feel their gut bacteria feels great and everything feels great. So they have that feeling of well-being after eating my food and and that's what my um my goal um with culinary is and, and it comes directly from her thank you it's michelle i'm done speaking thank you so much michelle wow uh, listening to everybody i feel like i'm hearing this kind of thread it's been a lot of talk about like parents and grandparents and you know carrying on the traditions or culture from what um what we've all been taught which is fascinating to me um just having been in the industry for so long you know so many chefs whether they're women or men or any other gender identity they often talk about their inspiration being parents or grandparents and but I I feel like when you think of a professional chef a lot of the times it's portrayed as like you know a white man in a big toque um and so I'm, I'm interested to hear a little bit about from everybody, hopefully, if you want to chime in, um, how are you thinking about how you kind of carry the culture and the things that you've been taught, um, whether it's from mother, grandmother, um, anybody else in your life? And, you know, it's really nuanced and complex. So how are you doing your own thing that maybe goes against the culture that you've, you've been raised on? And um, you know, kind of going against maybe some gender, gender roles or gender norms that you've been taught. Anybody can jump in if you'd like. Yes, Jensen, it's Chef Mimi. I'd like to share. 
uh, I think it's um, it's quite opposite uh, my viewpoint as I, I don't I don't see me as going a grain uh, against the grain but more in line with what I grew up seeing. I mean, I, growing up, I've always seen women as the, the pillars of their families, um, through my mom and my aunt and my friends' moms, and um, they were the ones taking care of everybody in the family, cooking and cleaning, etc. So it was a shock for me to see how male-dominated the culinary world was at first. Um, there was definitely a gender gap in the commercial kitchen. Uh, I've seen so many uh, male chefs receiving accolades and recognitions, um, but uh, rarely uh, a woman. So, you know, I uh, that's just my comment. I, I don't have the answer, but um, uh, I'd like to see more women in the kitchen uh, because I feel that this is more of a natural role for us. Um, uh, I bet even male uh, chefs can tell you stories of how they grew up seeing uh, strong women uh, taking the role in the kitchen. And so I just kind of see uh, such a disparity from, from, from the home kitchen versus the commercial kitchen. I'd love to jump in here real quick, Katie, but it's all right, because I have to leave soon. <laughs> so sorry. Is it okay to speak? Of course, go for it. Um, yeah, I think the, the, yeah, Mimi is absolutely right. There's a huge disparity there. And I think there's two th points I wanted to speak on. One was that I think for everyone who cooks, you know, we're all informed by our early years, whatever they were, right? Because that's our first experience of food. That's our first experience of flavor. Um, so it's, it's kind of impossible, I think, to extricate your early years in, in terms of how that feeds into who you are as an adult, as a, as a, as a chef. Um, you can't separate yourself from your experience, even if it's happening subconsciously. Um, and then the second point is, you know, the whole restaurant uh, hospitality model is built on the brigade, right? It's built on the, the French army kitchens of the 17th century, 17th, 18th centuries, that's where that model comes from. So, of course, it's dominated by um, a certain kind of tone and aggression and dominated by men because those were the people in the army cooking at the time, right? This was before women were even allowed in the army. <laughs> so, you know, historically, that's where the problem kind of resides. Um, it's still a shame to me that these many hundred years later, we're still as women fighting for the same kind of recognition um, as men in these industries when I think everybody's on the same page now that it, it has been the matriarchs for hundreds and hundreds of years, thousands of years, who have informed our, our palates. And um, as I was saying, you know, it's impossible to extricate that. So any male chef who's <laughs> pretending that they're influenced by the Cordon Bleu or whoever their frame of reference is, and he's forgetting their mother and their grandmother, um, who are who would have been predominantly the people who cooked for them at home. Um, they're not being authentic about that experience, you know. Um, and yeah, there, there's still work to do. So much work to do. Uh, I'm Zoe. I'm done speaking. This is Cassidy. I just wanted to jump in off of. Um, I loved what you just said, Zoe, and and jumping back to what Chef Mimi had said that really resonated with me um, with my 
history and and my upbringing, um, having those really strong female leaders, um, my mother and my grandmother, um, when I came into the nonprofit world and, and the nonprofit sector as an executive director, I didn't know any better. That was just my leadership style and having those words thrown around as um, bossy or bitchy. Um, I took those as being assertive and that's my leadership style. And uh, so I just kept moving forward. That was my path. And that's how I got things done. I, you know, listened to the room and my leadership style was really trying to work with every sector, every industry, sitting on a lot of boards and committees and bringing all of those folks together and working towards a common goal, whether it's you know, a new project, a festival, working with different regions, um, so on and so forth, all through college to where we are here today. Um, but having that background really paved the way for me of how my brain operates and, you know, being told no and having doors shut in your face, but just never getting discouraged and knowing that you have to keep moving forward for the folks you work with and work for, um, especially as an association leader and and you're kind of hold that responsibility for all of these small businesses and an entire industry essentially um i kind of take that on personally probably too personally sometimes but i know that that um upbringing and and those folks in my past and 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 currently you know obviously my mom still with us here uh physically in this room um really made that difference and um i am just so eternally thankful and grateful for that and I'm done speaking. Thank you. This is this Michelle. I want to um, to chime in and say, you know, um, I think everything that you know Zoe and Chef Mimi said, I agree with a hundred percent. And also, you know, for me, um, as an immigrant, you know, as a, an immigrant that's from Brazil, which we're very loud and we speak with our hands and we're you know, very touchy. And so I had to learn when I moved to America to become, um, to tone down my Brazilian a little and then by being in the kitchen. And so, and then also I'm a left-handed. So I had kind of like a discrimination on that side. And then also being a female and, and, and very assertive and straight spoken. I think, um, you know, I, have battled um, a few times in my career um, the abuse that goes on in the kitchen and every single time has came from a man um, which I then decide to say hey you can't talk to me like that you can let me go um, and I think you know this is really young probably at the age of 24 it was the first time and I, I then I started finding my voice and what the type of kitchen I wanted to run when I had my kitchen you know and so by the time I was 30. I, I was the, the first time I was executive chef. And so, you know, I took my kitchen back to where my grandmother had her kitchen, which was music was playing. Everybody's laughing because she used to say, if you're not happy while you cook food, it will taste sour. So I cook food by being happy. And, and so I, you know, and I think that, you know, I think the other point, you know, I think that, you know, we, we have been cooking for our families, like somebody else said, for generations and generations. But then once it becomes something that is 
praise in society, that is um, titles can be gained and a lot of money can be made, then it, it kind of gets stolen a little bit because the women are still busy doing what they're doing before, which is raising a family. So I think that, you know, in the last 10 years or whatever, how long, um, I think that we're asserting my, ourselves um you know, every day more. And um, I love that. And, you know, if I can help any woman out there that is young and, and beginning their career and they ever want to talk about anything that's happening or, you know, ask any questions or anything, um, my DM is always open. You can always send me a message. Thank you. I'd love to jump in after that. Um, Michelle, thank you for sharing that. I agree completely with what you just said about being open to a DM or an email or any kind of mentorship opportunity, um, please reach out anytime. I I do feel like um, growing up, I really didn't have that personally. Um, so not to go against, you know, I love what everyone's been sharing and I, and I agree with um, all of it, but my personal experience in terms of growing up in this industry was mostly um, front of house and in uh, more of the service side, um, all the way up until owning a restaurant and then moving into event production and catering. And I found that I actually had um, a lack of mentorship opportunities from other women. I had a, many experiences of kind of that uh, cliche or classic saying of crabs in a bucket, where the higher that I was moving up in the industry, the more I got pulled down actually by other women. Um, and so because it harmed me so much and my career, um, mentally, emotionally caused a lot of harm, um, and caused a lot of imposter syndrome and like just doubting myself, um, because I was so confused as to like, why would these women that have power be trying to prevent me from moving, you know, into other opportunities of power and it just became very clear to me that like the patriarchy and misogyny is also kept in place by women. So I love this idea of offering mentorship for other women. Um, I really am really passionate about doing that because I don't ever want to make anyone feel the way I felt um, in my 20s, like making my career. Um, and and I, the last thing I would want to share is that I, I do struggle a bit with um, paving a new way for myself because there's a lot of like breaking intergenerational patterns. I feel that, um, like I said earlier, my my parents and grandparents didn't get the opportunity to do. And so it is um, an incredible privilege and honor that I that I feel. But um, it is it is hard. And, and it's not always super inspiring and rainbows and sunshine. There are definitely days where it's quite a struggle um, to go against. And, you know, I think the last thing I'll say is also that I think there's a big part that food media plays in this conversation um, because, you know, I think that many people have said today that oftentimes the people that get in the articles or they get the awards or they get the promotions or they get, you know, invited to panel discussions often are not um, female or there's not enough women involved or, or you know, non-binary or non-gender conforming or you know, people invited to these conversations. I think that women of color and many of us get left behind. So the last thing I'll say on that is just that I hope to see that change. You know, I, I hope that the pandemic has given us a little bit of motivation to move away from that. 
thank you so so much Giselle for you know wrapping it up so nice nice and tightly with a bow I love I love that and you know cultural and systemic changes is really how we're going to improve the industry and I love I love hearing those different experiences um we wanted to wrap up this little section Alyssa if you wanted to talk a little bit about your inspiration um and we'll we'll get a little bit more to um more around the discussion around you know changing the industry here in a little second yeah, sure. Uh, so for me, you know, I'm a little different in the sense that I've never so much been in the culinary uh, portion. Um, I did want to go into culinary and it just, you know, for a number of reasons, um, you know, health and other things I just couldn't. But I did get more involved in food writing and uh, influencing and promoting marketing. Uh, and I guess one of my influences growing up and the reason why I love food so much and culture surrounding uh, the culinary arts is also like several others I mentioned family you know my mom my grandparents um my family we're, we're Jewish but our family has moved around a lot um we don't really fully know our heritage we do to some extent but because of a lot of the you know bigotry toward Jews in different countries we hopped around a lot from you know Ukraine Spain Portugal uh, so we don't, we don't really know anymore. Um, and it's hard to kind of hold on to that heritage. Um, we were also like, I, I know, Israel, Middle East. And one way that we've been able to kind of hold on to pieces of this is through the food that we've passed down throughout the generations. Um, and I just love the way that the food continues to, you know, keep us attached to something and continue to pass down traditions you know, it, um, I, I would say that's, that's, that's about it for me, but I am going to take this chance to quickly reset the room. Um, so just a reminder that this is being recorded and will be posted on the best served website. Um, we're discussing, as you guys know, the culinary inspirations and the women who paved the way. Uh, and anybody who's in here, if you have something to contribute, uh, NSO, we will get to you shortly. I do apologize. Feel free to come up on the stage. Um, ahead and ping people into the room, follow our clubhouse, and just bring anyone in who can benefit from the conversation. Uh, we'll be going till about time. Back to one mic policy uh, for everyone's benefit. And with that, Katie, I'll go back to you. Thanks, Alyssa. Yeah, actually, we'd like to open it up for anybody in the room who wants to share their culinary inspirations. Just go ahead and hit the little raise raise hand icon um, and we can invite you up on stage to tell your story and I think Jensen would like to share his story first maybe and um, just raise your hand and I'll let you up. Thanks Katie and uh, everybody what a what a powerful panel for those of you who know me it's uh it's hard for me to sit down and shut up and I'm so grateful for that opportunity today to just be inspired by uh, true leaders not women leaders, true leaders in our industry, full stop. And I think it's something more and more of the industry needs to pay attention to and shut up and sit down every once in a while. But I very quickly wanted to uh, take a moment and tell a story, an abridged version, but the story of my four grandmothers has been something I've been reflecting on quite a bit. And this room was inspired by, uh, by another room that I was in that kind of was asking the same question, who are some of the women that have inspired you and your past. And my family has been in the restaurant industry for 
five consecutive generations, 121 years we've been in this industry. We are uh, gluttons for punishment. And when I tell that story, which I tell constantly and will continue to do so because it's part of kind of my family legacy, it's all men. It's my great, great grandfather, my great grandfather, my grandfather, my three uncles. And it's easy for me to say that that's how and why my career started. Yet when I started to think back to kind of just these childhood memories, my four grandmothers came to the forefront. So I want to tell you about my four grandmothers. When I was two, we moved to Germany from uh, from L.A. to Germany, lived there till I was seven. And I got basically adopted by my surrogate grandmother named Schwippe, a Polish immigrant who came after World War II. And we lived in the end of this cul-de-sac and she would basically kidnap me every day and feed me whatever she had been spending the entire day cooking because her kids were all grown. And I just remember paprikash and goulash and these amazing strawberry shortcakes. And she would churn her own butter and pick her own strawberries. And I just, at an early age, remember feeling like this is how she communicates this is how she speaks and this is her language of love and I, it's the first time i recognized food being a language and then moving forward you know my my uh my obachan my bachan is from kyoto japan and this is a struggle that i had because growing up i actually kind of shunned the japanese side of my family i wanted to be just another another white kid from california and so I struggled with the fact that she would come over and bring these tiny little containers of big air quotes, weird food. And this weird food now is, is mainstays in everything that I am as a chef. So much of it, uh, Michelle is a big fan of pr preservation and fermentation like I am, all these different pickles and fermented items. And so I remember thinking that was weird or even the fact that we always had a pot of rice all day, every day in our house, it was just a staple. When my friends would come over, I would go through the fridge and throw away those containers because she would leave them all the time. I would throw them away because I was embarrassed by it. And so now I've had to reflect on that and and own that part of my own history. And now, you know, now it's it's a hard time again. We became somehow, you know, pop culture relevant, the uh, Japanese, Korean, Vietnamese, Thai culture, especially in food. A whole nother topic we've talked about here of cultural appropriation of food. It seems like foods that people are really wanting to find this forced fusion with these days. And so I struggled with that. So then moving forward, my grandmother, who uh, is from Mexico City, I remember during the holiday seasons, you know, we'd have the ham or the turkey and we would always have tamales too. And I remember the first time that cooking was a group activity and we would assemble tamales all together as a team. And that stuck with me always of thinking about how you involve others in the process of cooking, right? And, uh, and finally, my grandmother, uh, who is the, the mother of the three uncles who own restaurants and was very much the first person who took me on a trip out to Ames, Iowa, where my uncle started their restaurant empire in 1984 and went to their restaurants. And she told me the history of our family is the first time I knew that our family was in the restaurant industry when I was maybe 12, 13 years old. And so that's it. That's what I wanted to share. It is absolutely the women that are the keepers of culture, heritage of our history and, and keep us together as, as a family, whatever that means for you, extended family. And so I'm grateful for the opportunity to share that story. I'm so inspired by these women and the women that are here to speak today and so many others I've had the opportunity to share space with uh, in this industry.
Thank you. Thanks so much for sharing, Jensen. And it looks like we have one new addition. And this, if you want to share, and anybody else, if you want to raise your hand, and we'll bring you up on stage to share a little bit about your inspiration. But uh, Anisu, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that horribly. Um, go ahead. Uh, thank you so very much for inviting me up. Um, just wanted to share my inspiration from women. So worked at a Japanese restaurant. Uh, first place I worked at with a head chef, Sandy Mitchell. And he only had female chefs in the building. And we luckily had the opportunity to cook for the Japanese Olympic Committee. Now the head chef there was Mai and she was a uh, Japanese teriyaki and sushi chef, so she had done her time and um, sped me up uh, to becoming a sous in there. And it was very interesting working with her and being under the control of a woman, obviously having an African background, it being only a matriarchy that exists in our world. So for me, it was a chance to ultimately learn from her and learn different strengths within the kitchen, you know, like different ways to talk to, let's say, your commies, you know, different ways to talk to the kitchen porter, uh, different ways to approach customers. Um, it was a phenomenal experience. And one thing that she did was before she cut any fish, whether it was for um, sashimi or any rolls that we were doing, or it was the lobsters that we would get from the harbour in St Andrews, it was a case of she would pray and say a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a spiritual aspects to things which ultimately has you know gained something for me going forward as a male in the industry with Gordon Ramsay being the you know the staple and you know the, the macho toxic thing to aspire to uh, it, it's given a very nice change uh, so I just wanted to share that little story uh, from my experience uh, with you ladies thank you very much for allowing me to speak amen I'm done speaking I love to see, could I jump in? I love to hear this because this is this is the power of a woman in the kitchen. You get you get empathy, you get compassion, you get precision, you get you get all the things. Um, you know, I've never worked in a you know, I'm a self-taught chef and I've never I'm gonna say thankfully had to experience the the brigade and all of the things that go with that. Not to say I don't see where some of it's useful or relevant but you know the the story I hear from so many um of my peers is that where there hasn't been a woman leading the kitchen it's you know it's just been a very aggressive um bullyish um kind of a nightmare scenario to be in where nobody's looking after you and you know I found myself for a period of time falling into this trap of you know, worrying that I'm not running a kitchen the way it's supposed to be run, right? Because you see it on TV, you see it on the... And it's really easy to, to fall into a trap of thinking, oh, that that's how professional chefs do it, right? Um, but anyway, I'm so glad to hear that somebody was able to not only learn those beautiful skills um, as a chef, but learn the leadership skills as well of that, that being able to hold people, what... what in this space, which can be a very, very you know, stressful environment, the kitchen. So I'm really glad that you shared that. Thank you. Uh, no, no problem, Chef Zoe. Um, cheers very much. I think it's very important for males uh, in the industry, um, you know, especially a male like myself, 
being in the position I'm in with, you know, Prince William and Kate meeting and, you know, with St Andrews University being there and having the pleasure to serve these aristocratic young people, but to teach them a lesson, you know, and that's what Mai did. And it was a case of, no, no, you know, you're coming to my kitchen, you know, this is my house, this is my place of work. And, and it felt like a real community aspect. And I think gaining that balance as a male in the kitchen, uh, especially when it comes to food, tapping into the feminine energy, so to speak, and um, creating a wholeness is, is, is something for anybody listening in this room right now who is a man. Uh, Chef Jensen, uh, you, you'll preach to this, brother. You know, we, we be quiet, we listen and we learn life, you know. And I think uh, cooking is one of those things that, you know, when, when you're feeding the soul and the body and the mind, it's important to connect to the totality of everything. Uh, I'm done speaking. Thank, Thank you so, so much. That's lovely. I saw somebody was just about to jump in. Go ahead. <laughs> Hi, this is Chef Mimi, and uh, I thoroughly enjoy your, your sharing, uh, Anasu. Anasu is someone I've met on Clubhouse, and we've been um, in several rooms together. He was just in my last room as well, so so glad to always hear you speak. And I could tell you're a very thoughtful chef, and you, you are doing things the right way. And your attitude is just spot on. And so I see a bright future in you. And, and, and you give me hope um, in the uh, culinary world. Uh, I resonated with what all of these amazing women's stories, as well as Jensen's story. But I especially resonated with what Cassidy said about her experience as a female leader in her field. Um, prior to being a chef, I was working in marketing and even owned a marketing firm myself. And I've probably been called those negative names as well. Um, not to my face, but I heard it afterwards from someone else um, behind my back. But it's such a deep-rooted societal problem that kind of conspires to um, keep women in our place, whatever that is, whether we're supposed to be followers and not leaders, whether we're supposed to be agreeable and soft-spoken and can't be assertive. I mean, here we are in the 21st century and still have to deal with such inequality. But as for myself, the inequality has even another level of being an Asian. So in addition to dealing with the glass ceiling of being a woman, but there's a thing called bamboo ceiling in our culture that comes with being a strong Asian woman in the working world, um, the struggle of taking uh, a leadership path. And it's only just a, um, it's only, it's not only just a systematic issue, uh, but also among women ourselves who uh, have been conditioned to be untrustworthy of each other, to be competitive with each other. And so uh, I just like to see more women supportive of each other uh, and lifting each other up instead of seeing each other as a threat. This is Mimi and I'm done speaking. Thank you so much, Chef Mimi. Yes, yes, <laughs> totally agree. Um, and that actually leads perfectly into kind of the last um, point I wanted to ask about um, in this conversation is like, um, you know, patriarchy, misogyny, toxic masculinity, it hurts everybody, not just women, but, um, you know, men, non-binary folks, transgender folks, it, it hurts everybody. Um, and so I'd love to hear 
the different ways that y'all are working in whichever segment of the industry you're working in, wine, media, restaurants, um, et cetera. What are the ways that you're, um, you know, making those changes where you're working and, and what are you doing that can, you know, um, help improve the industry? If any of the ladies would like to go first, uh, prior to myself, I do have something. Sorry, sorry, Katie. Go ahead. I think I'm, I, mean, I missed the beginning of the question. I'm so sorry. Oh, it might have been my phone. Um, <laughs> I, I just said, um, just depending on whatever segment of the industry that you're in, what are the ways that you're, um, you know, improving and trying to make changes that go against the patriarchy and misogyny that, you know, hurts everybody? Yeah, I'm happy to jump in on that one. So... Last uh, year, I co-founded um, Blackbook, which is a platform for DNI and the food industry, creating thought leadership specifically around um, how do we best tell the leaders, at, you know, and by leaders I mean CEOs, board level of hospitality groups, brands, and publications, how they can do a better job of being actually more inclusive rather than um, you know all the virtue signaling and signposting that goes on a lot of the time really trying to build strategic long-term effective change now that's a long piece of work um, and it's going to take many years to even start to have an impact but you know it's it's about I think the best thing all of us can do is be having these conversations and to be having these conversations on a regular basis so that it starts to trickle down into people's consciousness um, and you know, start to push forward in terms of what's important. You know, if we think back 10 years ago when sustainability was a big issue in the restaurant and hospitality issue, you know, there isn't a, a menu that goes out these days without it being seasonable, seasonable, seasonal, sorry, or without it having sustainability at the heart of the business i think any good restaurant or food service those are the basics now that's the standard that is required and i think going forward this will be the new standard is you know how many women are you employing how many bipoc people are you employing what are the wages that you're paying what how are you translating the menu how are you talking about the menu are you cooking from inside or outside your culture and what are the ways in which you're informing your audience about that you know so there's lots and lots of levels to it obviously uh, and nothing will get solved overnight. I've said this before, you know, for me, decolonizing the food industry is a piece that I've now thread through all of my various businesses, um, whether it's my personal brand, Ghana Kitchen, Black Book, um, Zoe Spice House coming soon. You know, that is the foundation vision that I have. And I'm using all of those different platforms to to tell that. To, well, to explain what that even means. So many people don't even know yet what that means, but it's reversing 500 years of white gaze on food, how we eat it, how we talk about it, how we write about it, how we hire, you know. All of these things have been informed by really specific male, cis, white gaze for 500 more or so years, and it's, there's a lot of work to do to rewind that. So, um, yeah, big topic, lots of stuff, but it all starts with talking about it, I think. And until people have, uh, well, that's it. I'm going to stop waffling. <laughs> Sorry, I ran out of breath on probably. I was trying to get everything in. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> Thanks, Zoe. <laughs> Zoe yes, yeah, so right. So much. Oh, sorry. Someone else want to go? Okay, I'll finish my thought. Um, 
Zoe, I love that so much. Thank you so much for sharing that and for all that you do. That's going to make such a big impact in your industry and community. Um, one thing I just wanted to add to what you were saying is language. Is I think, like, I agree with your point about let's keep having these conversations because these conversations are what's going to keep, you know, it relevant and it's going to keep guiding, um, you know, a different way forward for people. But I also wanted to highlight um, how important language is in all of this, because I think oftentimes, you know, so someone mentioned earlier being called boss. And um, I, I have this little chart that I sometimes go back to to remind myself when I'm when I'm called those things, because I've always been called bossy, difficult, a bitch, like I've been called all these things my whole life. And so the first one is, you know, when someone calls me bossy, I just think to myself, wow, I'm really a leader. I, I'm, I'm showing my leadership skills, you know, I'm showing up as a leader. Um, when someone calls me a bitch, I think of myself as uncompromising. So, you know, um, there's lots of people that are male that are jerks in our industry and no one calls them a bitch. But, you know, when I assert, you know, a certain thing forward um, and I'm uncompromising about it, um, I, I now take that as a compliment. Um, difficult was a big one my whole life. And now I have flipped that for myself as assertive. And, you know, I think that I'm proud to be assertive. I'm proud to self-advocate. I'm proud to advocate on behalf of others as well. Um, and I think that is part of leadership. Um, and then another one was forceful. So oftentimes people will like, you know, make it seem like it's such a bad thing that you're trying to really put forward something. And I just try to fall back on the fact that that is my confidence showing through and you know, that I think, um, I don't think of these things as bad things anymore. I've had to flip the language for myself. And I think trying to really encourage other people to flip the switch on some of this language is, is really important too. That's it for me. Yeah, I wanted to add to what he said and jump in here because um, I feel the exact same way. I think that not just my Brazilian self but also me as a person I'm a Leo and so I'm very like you know and so the way I the way I see it is the, the same way you're seeing it, but with a little nuance which is you know I always <clears throat> you know I'm an action driven person and I want to I'm a communicator um, and so connector so I feel like I can't do my mission as well if what I'm trying to say in my heart doesn't necessarily express when it comes out of my mouth so like you know clubhouse for example is a great example when i started on clubhouse um my husband said you know it sounds like you're fighting with someone what happened and i'm like oh no i was just talking about what i had for dinner and so i was like people can't see my hands moving and they can't see my face so i need to tone it down a little bit and it's not that I'm trying to conform to others or that I'm trying to, what they're saying is true. It's more that I myself want to find the best way to, the most effective way to pass my message and therefore obviously going further, the message going further. So yeah, I just wanted to add that in there. Oh yeah. And I wanted to say one more thing. Um, what I'm doing today, because that was one of the question, the question now, um, you know, I'm in my 90 acres in the middle of nowhere um, by Canada, 20 minutes off Canada in Washington state. And so I'm not necessarily cooking every day at a restaurant at the moment. I'm doing more the farming side. Um, I have a pop-up coming up and all that. So what I do try to do is to, 
always include an offer to women first. Sorry, guys. You know, if I have a friend, maybe he would do it. But the majority of times I'm like, hmm, who do I know in Seattle for this pop-up that can film it with my with my cell phone so I can do a little video. And I thought of this girl that's 25 and I was like, hey, you want to come and I'll feed you? And she's like super excited. So I'm always trying to like encourage the youth to come in with me when I'm doing things. And I'm also uh, mentoring a girl named Faith in, um, she's from Nigeria and she just started her culinary venture. She's a CEO of Tasty Tasty Treats now. She, um, she's selling uh, sandwiches, healthy sandwiches to the college where she goes, a fourth year of crop science. University of Benin. So I helped her with, you know, her business plan, her menu, not what was on the menu, but what it looked like and the stickers and the business cards. And we, we are building a relationship and I don't feel in any way that I'm like, oh, here you go. I have to give some of my precious hours to her. Every time I interact with her, I am learning something from her at the same time. So it is, you know, both ways, um, an amazing thing. Thank you. I love hearing that. Thank you, Michelle. I love this room, hearing women supportive of each other, lifting each other up. I just want to second what Zoe said, that we need to have inclusivity in the kitchen, um, in gender, but also in race. Um, you know, we live in such a double standard society. Um, getting back to the, the, the way uh, how certain characteristics that are celebrated in men yet frowned upon in women. Uh, but I completely agree with all of you amazing women here that as long as we continue to have these conversations, um, that's how we can recognize and bring attention to these issues. And that's how we can start to resolve them. I would also love to quickly jump in. Um... I just wrote an article about this recently um, in terms of, you know, women in the kitchen and the gender of opportunity. Um, I think it's really important that we are having rooms like this and discussions like this where we are supporting each other. Um, I know, I think it was Hassel who said earlier, um, being a leader, it's important to uh, also help others who are in your situation or who are in similar situations um, and to help others be lifted up. Um, and one thing that we've seen you know, a, a pattern of is women are not being given the recognition or the accolades that they should be. And I think it's really important that, you know, we take it. <laughs> and I, I think it's really great that we have men as well, who like Jensen and Inesu in here, um, who are speaking up for us as well and are including us and supporting us because it's not always uh, coming, as a couple people here mentioned before, it's not always coming from men, it's women too, that we have a certain mindset and sometimes an internalized um, chauvinism that we have to kind of overcome. And uh, I'm done speaking. Alyssa, I love that you just said that. That is a perfect segue. Um, I recently, my, uh, in my industry, we just started this big project. It was funded by a grant and I'm working with um, four other uh, guilds essentially here in Colorado. And we were on a Zoom meeting and realized we're all women. And this light bulb came off and you're like, you know what, we need to put this information out there, write a presser. And it really did come down to um, the contact and the, the lady that um, is working for one of the other guilds is a female. But we really had to advocate for ourselves and put that out there. And 
Um, we realized nobody else is going to do it for us. So we wrote this badass press release for this project we're doing. And the theme was there's four women that are running the Bev manufacturer industry in Colorado. We came up with this great idea and we're going to put it out to the world. We didn't want to sit back and wait for somebody to pick up this story and write it for us. So we wrote it ourselves. And, um, but, but it really does take kind of that moment to sit back and say, we have to advocate for ourselves. We do not, I don't think um, we do a good job of recognizing our accomplishments and putting them out there. And that's a really great theme that I think has come to the top of this um, hour is Re lifting each other up and uh, recognizing that in each other and, and helping push each other forward um, and having that core group of ladies um, you work with or, you know, happy hour with and, and, and having that group of uh, that, that network, I think is so incredibly important. Thank you. I really agree. And that's like one of the things I do on the side now, <laughs> many other things I do is, is help people do that help people find their voice and take hold of like the narrative because if you're waiting for people to put your story out there a there's no guarantee but also you need to be able to frame your story and your journey and all of that exactly the way that you need it to be told and my experience in the food industry has been that the media love to box people love to label people love to put their spin on what you're doing and if you're not forceful and assertive about what that is um it, you know it can really get misconstrued like you know when i started going to kitchen everyone was calling it authentic and traditional and it's like no no no, no. <laughs> that isn't what i'm doing here you know so i had to every single in anyway i won't bang on about it but yes i agree and also um just you know connection is so important especially when i feel especially for women and having these networks and supportive connections for help and advice and just so you can just get a high five of somebody you know <laughs> just even if it's that simple just somebody yeah. who's like cheerleading for you um it's, it's really so important and I found it quite a struggle over the years especially in the UK to get that kind of network um but I certainly have forced myself to develop it and you know I spent all of last summer on IG lives trying to create that kind of community for BIPOC women through various platforms but it is honestly so important because if, if we're not raising each other up and celebrating each other, then why on earth would anybody else do that, you know? Zoe, I, oh, I just want to quickly um, piggyback on what you just said that also the media loves to pit women against each other uh, as if there's only one seat at the table. I mean, I don't know where that notion came from, but that is absolutely not true. There is absolutely a lot more seats at the table and we need to grab it like unapologetically. I think I yeah. would just add there. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say something quickly, you know, screw that old 70 year old table. Okay. White male table. We have, we have a table Thank you. right here, right now. Here's the table and we all have a sit in it. And I think that that's the power we have on what we all, all of us in here together, um, the power of what we're doing in so many different places. I think here's the table. So thank you. Sorry to interrupt, Zoe. Oh no, sorry. I was just gonna, yeah, just bolt on to what Mimi was saying there really, because it's not just the media. I mean, they're the worst offenders, but even publishers, you know, with my cookbook, Zoe's Garner Kitchen came out um, the first time <laughs> um, in 2017. It was actually supposed to be 
published in 2016 and they delayed it for a year because another West African, the only other West African cookbook writer in the UK at the time, they wanted to pit us against each other, right? Which I was really offended by because it's like, this is our opportunity to shine and you're dividing our market, you're dividing our audience, you're dividing our ability to monetize all of this work that we've put into it, you know, and that was a really cynical decision on the part of the publishers as far as I can tell. And then there's also this part of, um, you know, making you the voice of something. And for, for so long, that was me, right, in the UK. is like the standard bearer for West African food, the voice of Ghanaian food. It's like they weren't labels that I gave myself. You know, I wasn't the only person cooking Ghanaian food in the in the UK at the, at the time. And you know, this is a real problem that the media and publishing in gen general encapsulates. It's like there should be more than one black face at a time talking about food. There should be space for several Ghanaian chefs at the same time talking about their approach to Ghanaian food. It's like we're not a monolith, right? There's different regions, there's different uh, styles, there's different influences in how we all approach the subject. And that just there just needs to be so much more space for that to, to shine and develop. I'm Zoe, I'm done speaking. I love that so much. If I can just add one thing, um, Zoe, you were also talking earlier about, you know, how to control your narrative and how to write your narrative and really take, you know, the driver's seat in that car and not be a passenger and let others write it for you. Um, that was a really important lesson that unfortunately I had to learn it the hard way. I had a lot of things that I was doing written about by others, and it just really didn't encapsulate what I was trying to do at the time. Um, and I struggled a lot with imposter syndrome at that time. And so I let it happen because I didn't really even believe that I, or I, I did have that seat at the table. Like Michelle, you were saying, we all have a seat at the table and you're absolutely right. But I think at that time I didn't understand that or know that or acknowledge that enough for myself. Um, and, and over time, how I've overcome it, I just wanted to share a few things I did to really help myself, which was, um, I had to really work on crafting my narrative and writing that for myself. So I understood it really clearly and then reading it aloud to myself and others and practicing it so that by the time that I was in front of media or I wasn't on stage or I was on a panel or I was, you know, wherever I was, or I was crafting that press release to put out that. I was really clear with that vision and, um, you know, I still struggle with it. I'm not going to lie sometimes, but one of the things that helped me the most was, you know, rewriting my resume over and over or rewriting my accomplishments on a list or in my journal. And once you review what you've done in your career, like you're getting impressed by your own self <laughs> because you realize how much you've actually accomplished in your time here and and I would really encourage anyone, if, if you're listening to this and, and thinking, okay, that all sounds great, but like, how do I get there? Because I don't feel confident enough right now to do that. I would really encourage you to just start really documenting for yourself. And this doesn't have to be shared, but documenting for yourself all of the different jobs you've had and all of the different skills you've gained within that job. And then, you know, putting things on paper and documenting them and then saying them aloud to yourself. It's very, very powerful. Or if, if you don't like talking to yourself, then you know, do it with a close friend, someone that you feel really safe with, someone that you feel really comfortable with, and someone that's really in your corner and that's really championing for you. Um, and practicing these things so that 
you know, like Zoe said, when you're in a situation, you have to do that for yourself that you're, you're ready to and it's not the first time. That's it for me. Thank you so much, Asel. And thank you much. Thank you so much to everybody. This has been so inspirational, inspirational for me personally, but I'm sure for everybody else in the room. So I really, really appreciate you. And um, Jensen, I, I know you wanted to come back on and wrap it all up, but just wanted to say thanks. Uh, yeah, Katie, thank you so much. Uh, that was a great conversation all the way around and I appreciate it. And uh, Anessa, I know we wanted to, to have you share, but I wanna be conscious of everybody's time. We're at an hour and 15 now, so. Uh, we'll wrap this for uh, today. And, you know, I, ha I have to say, like my personal mission, the mission of best served is to amplify the worth and work of those who feed their community. And the worth side is the piece that I personally struggle with. And I think we all struggle with. We just so often don't value ourselves. And so much of what I've heard uh, in the last 20, 25 minutes is really a byproduct of that. The symptom of us feeling like there isn't a seat at the table. Like it's not fucking pie. Like if somebody else has some more, it doesn't mean you get less. And we struggle with that in this industry. We think of it so it's so finite because it's, it's so transactional in its nature when it becomes a part of the business model, right? It's all about next plate up. You're only as good as your next plate. It's about table turns. It's about check averages, all these things that yes, they're vital to the business, yet they can be detrimental to the humans. And so I really appreciate that. And we'll continue to struggle with the worth side of it. I think it's why some of us scared little boys like have to pound our chest all the time because, you know, I heard it said great once that we teach uh, boys to be brave and, and girls to be perfect. And a lot of times that means we can put our foot in our mouth and we do constantly. Yet for a woman has to always be aware of their surroundings in a way that we don't culturally. And so this conversation really helps us to understand that even further. And so I'm grateful for that opportunity. And I'm glad that media came up at the end. You know, I'm not a media guy and it's strange to be thought of that way now uh, that we have Best Served and the Best Served podcast. And one of the things that we just did this month that uh, Sophie and Nicole who are in the room are really spearheading is we've opened up our Best Served Read platform, which is our blog platform. And anybody can write anything about anything. And so that has allowed the opportunity for us to have them proofread. And even that, when we tell people that you can write anything about your journey within our industry, if you're a line cook in New Hampshire, a server in Denver, a school garden leader in Tampa, Florida, I want to hear it. We want to hear it. We will find a way to share it. And eventually it allows the democratization of stories because nobody can tell you if your story is worthy. Only you can tell yourself that this is your story. And if there's a place that you can share that, that's what we're trying to create. So, you know, for anybody out there that wants to, I mean, hit me up. You can go to my profile on Instagram or info at Best Served Podcast. And Nicole and Sophie would love to help also because a lot of people just don't have the writing chops, myself included. And so having a couple of professional writers help us kind of put together the, our spoken word into written word is super valuable. And we're even taking that a little bit further. This summer, we're launching a campaign called 86, 86, 86. 86 articles in 86 days, paying $86. Something that we wanted to do to be able to allow people to like side hustle, that your story has value, has worth. 
And so we want people who are at the line level to be heard. Whatever your story is, whatever your experience is, it matters. It fucking matters. And we need to hear it. We can't move forward if we don't hear these stories because we're just stuck right now if we don't understand that it is always going to be our why and our who that catapult us. And it's going to so often be the what and the how that keep us from acknowledging each other. So thank you. Truly grateful for everybody in this conversation. Katie for hosting. Alyssa, as always, for, for moderating and keeping us on track. And thanks to everybody. And uh, maybe for the panel, everyone can unmute for a moment and give yourselves a round of applause. And then we'll end this room. Thank you so much. So if I could, just as the other only male in here. You got uh, 17 we, seconds. Go for it. 17. You know what we'll go for. Uh, cheers to all the females and for what you do for us. We need balance. We need guidance. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Please hit me up on IG and um, let's talk. Thanks for listening to the Best Served Podcast. Subscribe to our show and connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Tune in next week to discover more unsung hospitality heroes.